Ulterior. Shout out to everybody who is doing the Barbenheimer double feature this weekend. I see you. I fuck with your game. I respect it. So, moving into the actual episode, I took some time off from the podcast just because there... Honestly, it's just because there wasn't really a ton of content that I believe warranted a podcast episode as opposed to the clips that have been posted on TikTok and Instagram. And those clips are like a good outlet for me to kind of put stuff out there in the midst of down periods per se. Whereas when there's a ton of material like there was this past week, that's when a podcast episode makes the most sense. So if for any reason you listen to this show through Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever, but you don't follow Ulterior on socials, I would really, really suggest doing so because there is additional content there that you wouldn't get here. And I want to make sure everybody has a chance to see those. And one final note before actually moving into the intro section. Um, so I always hate coming on here and talking about tragic situations such as death or illness or anything of that sort. But I have to because these are inevitable scenarios that the scene and just every walk of life in general is faced with from time to time. Like on the last episode, I talked about Ryan Sue's passing and the year of the knife accident. Today, I'm going to mention what happened to Dave Cohen, who was the guitar tech for Animals as Leaders. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Dave passed away during a counterpart show, and the only thing that has actually like been made public as far as the circumstances surrounding his passing is he took an elbow to his face lost consciousness, and never regained it. Now, I am aware of what direction this discourse took in certain areas on Twitter, and I'm not here to condemn crowd killing because we don't know what actually happened. Could it have been a crowd killer? Yes. Could it have also just been somebody being a bit overzealous in the pit? Yeah. I can't approach the story from an angle that I don't have the scope of. So what I will do instead is just kind of give a blanket statement as it pertains to safety and cautionary measures at shows. Just be mindful of your actions and surroundings because shows are meant to be safe places where people can go and have fun and escape whatever it is that they may need to at the time. They shouldn't have to be concerned with being able to leave the same way that they arrived or leave it all. All the best wishes and vibes to Dave's family and friends, anybody affected by this. And like I said, just be mindful at all times. So what's on this episode as far as the music goes? So we got brand new singles by the likes of A Virtue, Laird is Murder, The Ghost Inside, and a few others to get through. And then brand new records by Kim Dracula, Mood Ring, Chamber, False Star, and Paris. Thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode.
there is one news topic that I did want to bring up before getting to the reviews for the episode, and that has to do with Bad Omens, and uh, an additional accolade to the absolutely godlike run that they've already had on the cycle for The Death of Peace of Mind. Last week, Just Pretend was certified gold by the RIAA, which means that it has moved 500,000 units in the United States. To get across the significance of this to you guys, these are some examples of other scene releases that have been certified gold at some point throughout the streaming age. King for a Day by Pierce DeVale, If You Can't Hang by Sleeping Your Sirens, If It Means a Lot to You by A Day to Remember, Second Sebring by Mice and Men, and Not the American Average by Asking Alexandria. There are plenty of other examples, sure, but my point is that among the gold certification exists some of the most recognizable songs that the scene has ever had, and now Just Pretend exists in that same echelon. And all of this happened without the song actually being a single or having a music video until very recently. Almost by chance, Just Pretend happened to be the song that caught on, and once those new eyes were placed on the Bad Omens, the band retained those listeners by being, in my opinion, undeniably one of the best bands in the scene and now one of the biggest because they didn't squander that opportunity. I've been around the scene for a very long time now and this run that Bad Omens is currently on is almost unlike anything that I've seen before and the gold certification of Just Pretend adds to the trajectory that they have worked for years to not just deserve but fucking earn and I want to see cool shit like this continue to happen to them. So now I really will go ahead and get into the singles for the episode, and the first one up is by A Virtue. It is called Sober. The way that I've been seeing A Virtue throughout their singles run this year has been, and I mean this with respect, just reliable. As in, I know they'll deliver songs that I think are good, but at a base level of good. Nothing out of this world or overtly exciting. So I was expecting something of that same caliber coming into Sober, and I ended up hearing what I believe is the best A Virtue song to date, and the display of the band operating at a level beyond anywhere they've been before. I think the initial slow build in the first verse gives the chorus that extra power and burst of energy it needed to be as impactful as it is. It manages to find a really appealing rhythm while still being heartfelt and emotional, giving a virtue this elite persona and identity that I hadn't noticed from them until now. Like genuinely everything about this song in and around it is amazing. I think it sounds fucking phenomenal. I have this new level of interest with a virtue that I didn't necessarily have before, and I would hope that anybody who has interest in a virtue or even marginal interest feels similarly because this song is incredible. Brand new single by the artist Murder, this is Karis. K 
Karis is the second single off of Godlike, which is releasing on September 15th. And following up Join Me in Armageddon, I think The Artist Murder continue to show off the level of prowess that I've come to expect from them. And Karis has this charm in its heaviness where it can still be catchy enough to stick with the listener. The instrumentation is as pristine as it's ever sounded, as are CJ McMahon's screams, and I think overall right now, between Karis and Join Me in Armageddon, the formula that we're seeing for Godlike has no holes in it. And in my opinion, that's always been the case with The Artist Murder. Like, there is just this level of consistency within them that is almost unmatched. I'm not sure how many other bands within Deathcore for the last 10 years or so I believe, have been able to, time and time again, leave as big of an imprint on the scene as The Artist Murder. They are at the top of the Deathcore echelon right now, and every second of every song for the godlike rollout shows that. This is still The Artist Murder's game, no matter how much time passes. The Ghosts Inside are back, and they have a new single out called Earn It. I believe this is the first time that I've talked about The Ghost Inside on this show before, and that's just because of a lack of any new material since their 2020 self-titled album, which had so much heart poured into it being their first record after their bus accident in 2015. And there is a similar notion within the lyricism of Earn It that gives off this sensation of triumph and the will to push forward through adversity, especially in the chorus with lines like, you say it won't be easy, I know it never is, fight through the fear inside me, won't dim the light in my chest. Sonically, this song does see the Ghost Inside venture through a more accessible tone, similar to what other metacore bands like Architects and Wage War have done in recent years, but I don't think it hinders what the Ghost Inside achieved on this song. It's emphatic and emotional and catchy, and something that I found myself enjoying more than some of their prior stuff. I really dig Earn It. I think this is a sound that is worth the band exploring on a greater scale. And you can catch me singing every fucking lyric to the song next month at their co-headliner with Under Oath. The second single ever released by Project Vengeance is out now. It is Vessel. So Project Vengeance, if anybody doesn't know, originated as the Big Six and is essentially an all-star ensemble of deathcore vocalists. So it's Will Ramos from Lorna Shore, Taylor Barber from Let's Suffer, Dickie Allen from Infant Annihilator, Tyler Sheldon from Traders, and Darius Tarani from Spite. So yeah, this is a pretty big fucking deal, and Vessel is a more than worthy entry into the discographies of any of these vocalists. Um, there was also some work done on this track by Nick Nocturnal, who is the biggest figure in the YouTube reaction space for the scene. I think Vessel gives each vocalist enough of their own pathways to show off the traits that make them so unique in their own right, and the instrumentation lends heavily to the effectiveness of everything going on here. And I feel like it's easy to look at Project Vengeance or the Big Six, whatever it is you want to call it, it's not even six anymore. And be of the mindset that it's like 
gimmicky or just something for you know the the deathcore merchants to really latch onto. I don't really care. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. The final single that I'm going into detail on for the episode is by Villain of the Story. It is called Better. To put it lightly, I didn't expect this out of Villain of the Story. Even though I did mostly enjoy their album from last year, Divided, um, Better is a much slower bass song than anything off of that record, and that isn't necessarily why I would place it above everything off of Divided. I would place it above because there is a certain level of authenticity and heart poured into Better that, respectfully, I associate with upper-level bands and that's not necessarily a level that I've seen Villain of the Story operate at, but they did on this track. And it's not just gripping and moving, but it's also like a, a fucking bop and so easy to nod your head along to in the verses and chorus. There is a lot of power packed into this track, and I am happy to have seen this effort out of Villain of the Story because if nothing else, potential was what I picked up from Divided, and that potential was fulfilled with Better. These were the remaining singles that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in their views on social media. Sacrifice, which is a weekend cover by a marionette. It's Okay, It's Alright by Aviva. Live Forever, Never Die by Bearings. Believe by Caskets. Fallout by Enox. Sleep Your Head by Fiddlehead. Take It Back by Go For Gold. Maladapted by Hail the Sun. Bloodstream by Hot Milk. The Ladder by Johnny Booth. Transparency by Keep Flying. Heaven Sent by Movements, Awaken in Ashes by Nick Nocturnal and Brand of Sacrifice, Fujiwara by Notions and Young Lex and Still Deal, Downpour by Our Hollow Our Home, Pull Me Through by Royal Blood, Pendulum by Spanish Love Songs, How Far by Starletta, Help Me by Swaco, 20 Below by Sundress featuring Glacier Veins, Medication by Sunsleep, Monopoly by Surgeon, Dark Sky by Teenage Risk featuring S.A. Martinez, Restraining Order by The Dooms, and Do It So Good by Wargasm. So as I am preparing now to do the records for the week, there's a train passing by outside. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but I'm not going to let that stupid fucking train... That was mean. I don't know why I said that. I will not let that annoyance of a train... That was also mean. I'm not going to let that train that's outside right now interrupt my thought process on this album because I believe it is the most unique sounding and abstract, weird as fuck, beyond belief piece of material that I will talk about this year. A Gradual Decline in Morale by Kim Dracula. Of others. Kim Dracula does not condone any of the acts mentioned that one might deem immoral in the rest of the album. Let's go! So if I'm keeping it a buck with y'all, I didn't fully know if I was going to review this record on this episode because I wasn't sure if I could. I didn't know if I would be able to find the right words and expressions to do this album enough justice in relaying to you guys what it sounds like and how it made me feel listening to it. What made me ultimately decide 
okay, I'm reviewing this, was um, I was talking in the SOTS Discord to say the scene, and Sam brought up this album. I said that I didn't know how to articulate the words for a review, and he said that's what he was there for, and that he and Marcos reviewed it for their episode this week. You can call this petty or whatever, but I was like, he just called me a pussy. He said I don't got that dog in me. He said he built different. Alright, bro, fine. I'll fucking review this record, and I am glad that this is what's happening, because the more that I listen to A Gradual Decline of Morale, the more that I gravitate towards its quirky nature in a way that I don't believe I have for any album since the first time I heard Am I a Girl by Poppy. And I don't mean that they sound similar, because they really don't, but the freakish mindfuckery nature is there for both, and that's a large contributor to why I didn't know, and truthfully I still don't know if I can properly convey the emotions that I felt listening to this album. It starts off with the title track, which is this ominous piano or organ score of a song that gives me this vibe of like a demented Castlevania style song, and it doesn't actually prepare you for anything that's about to come afterwards, but I think it still works effectively in making you as a listener ask these questions like, what the fuck is this, and who is Kim Dracula, and what am I about to hear? When the second song, My Confession, opens, you're just blasted by this bass rhythm that's straight out of funk music, and then Kim overlays their vocals in this flamboyant and commanding manner before the track takes a turn and embodies a dancing spirit before it later turns again to a downbeat trap song, and Kim is rapping while screaming at the same time, and there is this disclaimer voiceover before the breakdown, and it's just mashed into this song in a very unorganized fashion, but I don't think that it would have worked nearly as well if it was organized, and that's kind of what I get to about Poppy, and how she approached songs like X and Scary Mask, because... There's almost no real structure there. It's the act of throwing shit at the wall, and somehow it all sticks. My Confession works for the same reasons that a lot of other experimental songs by different artists don't work. Luck is a Fine Thing has a new metal flair to its intro, and then Kim essentially works their way through the entirety of their vocal range and stylistic desires, because it sounds like an entire album's worth of ideas meshed into one song, and there are other tracks here where that's the dominant mindset I have, like on Superhero and Land of the Sun, but they all still manage to have their own unique traits, like Land of the Sun closes out as a Spanish song, for fuck's sake. There is a lot going on with this album that I don't want to necessarily spoil for anyone. Like, if I were to say, oh, on this song there's a folk section, and then this song has a swing jazz section, I, I could do that, easily, but I feel like if I do that, and I'm really precise in my descriptions, what that does is it takes the fun away from getting to experience a gradual decline in morale. And it is an experience that I want you guys to be able to have, because I am of the belief that there is nothing else out there like this, and I say that with so much respect and adoration for what Kim Dracula achieved. So then, if I'm choosing to be mindful with explaining a lot of these songs to you guys, what I will do at least is talk about my favorite song on the album. Actually, it's not even just my favorite song on the album, it was my favorite song released all of last week. And that is the album's technical closer, Iris. And I don't say this with any hyperboles, 
This was the most shocked I have been listening to a song so far this year. Because when I saw the name Iris, I thought of what maybe anybody else on the planet would when they see that name, which is the Google Doll song. But in my head, I was like, nah, it's just an original song. Like, it has to be. It's not actually feasible to think that Kim Jacula would cover Iris and put it on their album as the closer. And then I got to Iris, and the first words out of Kim after a brief intro were, and I'd give up forever to touch you. Bro, that's the fucking Google Doll song. Kim really did that. And I think the idea of an Iris cover by someone as daring as Kim being one of my favorite songs of the year so far is a preposterous thought. But there's a lot that goes into this beyond it just being a cover. It somehow stays true to the original while still allowing Kim to interpolate their personality. Like, they could have easily taken Iris and given it the spin that every other song on the record has, but instead, it still has the spirit of the original. And lyrically, I can't help but look to a deeper meaning when it comes to Kim intentionally placing this as the closer of the album, because the chorus, at least in my eyes, does speak like Kim kind of wrapping up the presentation of the album and everything that you as a listener heard by saying, I just want you to know who I am. Throughout every fucked up twist and turn that the album took, all Kim wanted was for us to know who they are. And I do feel like I have that grasp now, having made my way through a gradual decline in morale several times now. This album is a lot of things. It's chaotic, it's cluttered, it's packed, it's challenging, it's thought-provoking, it's menacing, it's maniacal, it's beautiful, it's enchanting, it's captivating. But above all else, I think it's one of the coolest releases in 2023 as of now, and a genuine must-listen for everybody. There is a brand new EP out right now by Mood Ring. It is called Your Light Fades Away. So even though I could talk for fucking days on end about Mood Ring and how I believe that they are in the highest possible tier when it comes to rising Cenex, I don't really have the ability to be tangential with Your Life Fades Away because it is a three-song EP. Two of those songs I have already talked about before, Black Wave and Would You Wait For Me. Black Wave was the first single out back in April, and right from the rip, it carries over the traits that I thought made last year's album Stargazer so alluring. It's dystopian new metal that does sort of channel what bands like Deftones and Mudvayne would have been doing in the early 2000s, but it's modernized while embracing the elements to Mood Ring that are unique to them, like the delivery by Hunter that I think is almost unmatched when looking at the parallels between himself and other vocalists at the moment. Would You Wait For Me is probably my favorite song on this effort, and just overall, one of my favorite songs by Mood Ring to date, because it has the intangibles that I've already mentioned about them before, and then a chorus that I believe can be put up against any of the other Juggernaut songs from the scene, 
and hold its own because the rhythm that Hunter and the rest of the band find in it is godlike, in my opinion. Shy Eagle's Death is the one new song from the EP years release, and it's got this insane level of bounce to its main riff and intro section before branching off into something of drum and bass status in its verses, per se. And I think it really does say something about Moodring's prowess that it didn't feel out of place whatsoever in their style and sound. And I truly do wish that there was more here I could really tell you guys about. Like, I do enjoy talking about Moodring every chance I get because I do, with all my heart, believe they're one of the spearheads for the like newer wave of bands, if you want to put it that way. They have their image and their sound and their style and their um, their abilities down to fucking perfection right now. I knew that off of Stargazer. I have that reiterated to me right now on Your Life Fades Away. Mood Ring is a band that everybody needs to be paying attention to. Like No matter what sector of the scene you come from or you find comfort in, there is going to be something in Mood Ring's arsenal for you because they are just that fucking talented and that fucking good. Let's talk about Chamber and their album, A Love to Kill For. So, in some regards, Chamber is a band that my knowledge of is admittedly minimal. Um, I, I did check out their 2020 album, Cost of Sacrifice, around the time of its release back then, and I thought it was incredibly solid and well-rounded. Um, a great entry point for myself into their array of hardcore music, but then I didn't really stay tapped in for Chambers, and that's from no detriment of their own, it's just myself losing sight of their trajectory so now I get the chance to rediscover Chamber in some ways through A Love to Kill For, and I think there's so much charm in what this album achieved, most notably the flow from song to song, because it all feels perfectly conjoined, and not in a way that makes the record feel like one constant song, but the story that it tells sonically is allowed to be paced in a manner that works to the style of Chamber so effectively, in my opinion. Um, their brand of hardcore is kind of meant to be, or at least I perceive this as, kind of meant to be constricting in some weird way, and the manner that the opening song bleeds into retribution, or how um, To Die in the Grip of Poison goes into One Final Sacrifice, it is a deliberate move that, to me, is a lot more difficult to execute than to just rely on interludes to get to those transition points. And there are some interlude-esque songs on the record, and if I'm being honest, that's the one area where I am a bit lost in the execution of A Love to Kill For, because they seem unnecessary to me. Especially when, as I said before, Chamber can transition between songs so well without those breaks. But regardless, this album is a series of punches to your face, track by track, note by note, line by line, and the heaviness of it never once lets up. 
the spirit of what hardcore music is meant to be in the modern setting is embodied in this record and it's a massively fun time for someone like myself who will always have a deep affinity for this style of music. This one may have flown under the radar for many of you guys and that would be sad if that's the case because there's definitely a lot to celebrate here and a lot of good that I am eager to express to you guys. Sacred Mirrors by Fallstar. Fallstar isn't a name that I necessarily think of often, but I feel like I should because I have been there since the beginning in some ways for their tenure. I do remember hearing their EP from 2007 called Your Eyes Don't Lie, and I had this instant connection to it because of the 2000s style of metalcore and post-hardcore that it wielded, and that's probably my favorite specific type of sound within this scene, and I thought they did it really 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 well um like after hearing this new record sacred mirrors i went back to your eyes don't lie and i was hearing oceans and i was just like brother they don't make bands like this no more for real for real um and then the progression of false star goes back to 2010s and a couple of records here and there and i believe that the sound they had throughout most of that um iteration of their act was solid but just felt incomplete in some areas. Like, the magic of Your Eyes Don't Lie didn't necessarily carry over to the rest of their discography. Like, the songs are still good, but it just felt like there was something missing. I thought that their 2021 album, Sunbreather, did improve at least the production aspect of their style. But again, it just still felt like False Star, in some ways, and with all due respect, had flatlined but i still had hopes for sacred mirrors and in some ways i was actually surprised with this album because even if i don't believe that it's going to you know propel false star into the stratosphere and provide for them all of these opening doors and new opportunities it's the album that i've kind of been waiting for from them when i hear the opening song time bender and the jet engine there is this, like, somewhat of a spirit of 2000s metalcore, not fully fleshed out the same way that it was on Your Eyes Don't Lie, but still enough for me to hear a song like Timebender and think to myself, like, you know, this could have fit right in with my MySpace page back then. I think the areas of the album where False Star really find a comfortable groove is when they kind of have that balance between the heavy side and the emotionally charged side of metalcore. So like on uh, Sky Symmetry and Screaming Through the Walls, the ability to just transition between cleans and screams so effortlessly, like that's really what makes False Star feel invincible here on the album. The parts where I think maybe they lose sight of that just slightly are on the tracks that rely a bit more on heavier tones. So like Doomsayer and Eternal Engine Die Up. Like the tracks are definitely good, don't get me wrong. But I didn't necessarily feel like they captured the same magic as some of the other songs here that really do um, bode well for False Star. 
there's one song specifically that I really, really want to shout out, and that is the closing track, Waterhouse. This is honestly one of my favorite closures of the year, and in totality, maybe one of my favorite album or uh, songs of the year so far. And I didn't necessarily think I would be saying that about False Star. Waterhouse, I don't even really know what it is about it necessarily, because like I've definitely heard other bands do something like this before, but I guess just False Star had this energy inserted into Waterhouse that makes it undeniable to me. Like the chorus on here specifically, it feels so anthemic, like so large, so arena ready. And that's not really a phrasing that I associate with False Star, but it's what they commanded on Waterhouse. And I think this might be, if not my favorite song ever by them, definitely one of my favorites. And this is a band whose tenure right now expands almost two decades. So for them to have come across a song like Waterhouse in 2023 and have it be as effective as I find it to be, that's a fucking achievement. So kind of like I said earlier, Sacred Mirrors isn't going to be the album that puts False Star on the map. I, I think if anything, it's the album that people like myself who have like kind of always championed them and rooted for them, we can be grateful for this album. And I hope people who maybe have never heard of False Star before can really find the time to sink their teeth into what's happening on Sacred Mirrors. Because if nothing else, even if it's not like a captivating or a game-changing metalcore album, it's still really fucking solid all around. And again, Waterhouse, to me, is one of the most elite songs out there right now by any band. The final album for the episode is the new release by Paris. It is called Evergreen. So let's do what I normally try to do when talking about any band who I have extensive knowledge and history within and just dial the time back to the initial rise of Paris. And I would imagine that I have the same recollection as others from that era in that Paris seemingly came out of nowhere. Like, I did learn quickly thereafter that they were not an overnight success. But if you were just looking at Rise's YouTube channel, that's what it would have come across as because the video for St. Patrick came out, I believe it was the summer of 2014, so roughly nine years ago now. And my initial reaction to Paris was just that of like, holy shit, where did this band come from? Like, why is their sound so polished? How is the production on this video as grandiose as it is? And the same thing happened later on with the video from my house. And in the lead up to White Noise, it just felt like everything was clicking for Paris in a way that some people might have, and maybe they still do view those opening months for them on a mainstream label as like industry plant type shit. But the rise, no pun intended, really was organic. It just came across as being so rapid because of how fucking good Paris have been from the jump. And then White Noise came out and the album just shattered any expectations that I had for it at the time. It was, I believe, my third favorite record of that year overall. 
And still, almost a decade later, I would consider it to be a, a true scene classic and one of those albums where you can't forget where you were when you first heard it. You cannot forget what emotions were going through you during your first exposure to Paris. Three years later, we got All We Know of Heaven, All We Need of Hell. That is my favorite Paris album. I know I just gassed up white noise to the fucking heavens, but All We Know of Heaven really does take that mantle for me as the definitive Paris work. And you could kind of see in that album little hints of what the trajectory would be for Paris moving forward because there were some, you know, flares of alt-pop infuse. And then I think on the 2019 EP Hallucinations, those ideas were fully fleshed out. And for some people who were like really attached to white noise, maybe that sound was a bit... Not necessarily too drastic of a shift now that we know what Paris as a full-on all-pop band sounds like, but with that EP specifically, I think it is fair to say that a song like Death of Me doesn't have the same punch necessarily as uh, Fire, for example. 2020 saw the release of Use Me. I love that album. I think some of Paris's best work today exists on that record, such as on uh, Stay Gold or Good to Be Alive, January Rain. Like these are songs that really do take the pop centric nature that Paris have found in recent years and really turns out to 11. Like these songs fucking rule and you cannot convince me otherwise. They did have one more standalone single. It was My Way. It came out back in 2021. And it did make the year-end list for Ulterior in the top 100 songs. I think it was even top 50, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I really do enjoy that song. And again, I was ready to accept whatever came to us from Paris in the all-pop realm. And so that brings us to Evergreen. And the first thing that I want to say is, if you are like, married to the sound of white noise and that particular style of Paris, I don't know how much of Evergreen you can really sink your teeth into. Just right now, I steered away from calling the Hallucinations EP a drastic shift from early Paris. Evergreen is. It's pretty far out there, pretty far removed from, you know, the days of My House and St. Patrick, even you and I, like, there's one song here, we'll get to it, that I think kind of has like a little bit of a you and I sentiment to it, but for the most part, there's not a lot here that I can link to White Noise, or even All We Know of Heaven. Back in October of last year, we got the double lead single for the record, Animal and Anywhere But Here. Animal, that song is very much so a base for the direction of Evergreen. And we had a lot of like pop and uh, synth inspired chorus work on there. And I didn't see it as being a detriment to the style of Paris. I, I think if anything, Paris managing to adapt their characteristics, in my opinion, of being undeniably catchy and gripping to an environment that is a little bit alien compared to where they've been before, they deserve their flowers for that. I truly believe that. Anywhere But Here is what I was kind of referencing a minute ago about a song on here having a little bit of a an energy and a feeling that is comparable to you and I. I think the song's first portion being built on 
this acoustic guitar while Lynn lays over these very heartfelt lyrics, the same type of lyrics that we've come to know and love from her. It makes for this really captivating emotional journey. Like this is in some ways a formula that has worked for Paris before and it doesn't flatline in any way here. I want to bring up the next two singles, Goddess and Good Enemy. Those two songs do appear within the first three song stretch on the record. And I, I I already knew this, but I guess hearing it within the context of Evergreen, I was reminded that these are two of the catchiest songs of the year. I think Goddess has this, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, girl boss energy that I am so infatuated with when hearing it out of Paris, a band who I generally don't hear that from and I don't come to them for this sound, but they proved to me why I should. Good Enemy, I did review as a single not too long ago, so maybe uh, any takes I could have on it aren't necessarily fresh. Um, I, I did say in the review initially that Good Enemy reminds me of Crash Bandicoot for some reason, and I still feel that way largely, which actually does create like an extra layer of attachment to the song for myself. And I think that the part of the chorus where Lynn drags on the last syllable of enemy and says me that really does help intensify the catchiness of good enemy. So now let's talk about the rest of the album, because there's definitely a lot of substance here that I am in some ways floored by, but also I don't want to say that because it makes it sound like I'm surprised that Paris did something magnificent. So the opening song, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's just say that you, the listener, are somebody who you didn't keep up with the singles. Maybe you haven't even checked out Paris in a while now. And you go into this album in some ways blind, or at least unknowingly blind. This song will tell you what it is that you need to understand about this current form of Paris before getting through the rest of Evergreen. Because this song is unapologetically alt-pop, and it's pretty emphatic in how it does that. Like, there's a big danceability, in a way, to the production of this song. I don't even know if danceability is a word, but let's just say it is, because Paris commanded that word. There is a three-song stretch in the middle of the record from songs that were not singles, Hype Zombies, Take My Nirvana, and Sentimental. Both Hype Zombies and Take My Nirvana have this delivery to them where it comes across to me as a bit of a darker tone to the pop nature of Evergreen, and I think it's a great contrast to songs like Goddess and Good Enemy, which are a bit more upbeat in that regard. Not lyrically, just the way that they sound. And Sentimental might be the most upbeat-sounding song on the record. Maybe my favorite as of right now. I'd have to really think about it, but it's definitely one of those songs where when I'm finished hearing it, whenever I get through Evergreen, I'm like, fuck, man, I kind of want to go back and hear that song specifically. There are some sections on Sentimental where the rhythm is centered around this one singular piano key that is being pressed over and over and over again. And even if in theory that sounds like something that's just like kind of a minor addition to a song, in practice, it helps really bring the vibrancy and the color within to Sentimental. And I think that's what helps it really stand out favorably. Headlights has some similar traits to Anywhere But Here in that the song opens with Lynn and she's layered over this acoustic guitar. 
And then throughout the song, more pieces of instrumentation come in to really complete the ensemble. And it is one of those points of Evergreen where it feels like most alive, even though it's kind of a little bit muted still. Love is A is another song that really channels the uh, slower pacing of the album. And I think this is another example of Paris taking some chances on this record and really shining in that risk factor. Evergreen ends on its title track, and I think it is one of the most apropos closing songs on any album so far this year. And not just because of how impactful it is as an alt-pop song, but also lyrically, I think Evergreen, the title track here, it really ends on a note where Lynn is kind of relaying the overall message of the album in a way because the final lyric here on the album is i'm gonna be evergreen for anybody who might not know evergreen means like everlasting or enduring and i did see lynn mention somewhere about the album as a whole thematically talking about reclaiming control of our post-pandemic selves and our society And her saying, I'm going to be evergreen, it really does speak to that, I feel like, because, you know, I feel like all of us can say that in some way, shape, or form, the pandemic changed the rest of our lives. So by Lynn ending the album saying, I'm going to be evergreen, there is that sense of triumph and confidence in telling people that you are taking control back and you're going to be eternal and everlasting, and enduring, and forever, and evergreen. By this point, I have listened to this album, I don't even know how many times. And in some of those sessions, per se, my purpose was to see if I could find anything about evergreen that I think is wrong, or a misstep at all. Because after hearing evergreen for the first time, my initial belief was, this is a perfect album. And I just wanted to know, like, after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh listen through, am I still going to be of that mindset? And no matter what the setting has been, no matter how many fucking times I go back to this album, I'm left with the same belief that Paris put out perfection with Evergreen. Like I said earlier, though, I will not fault anybody who may have been attached to White Noise or All We Know of Heaven if they cannot get into this record, because this is an album that will be divisive for some people. It will be polarizing for some sectors of Paris's fan base. And if you fall into the category of somebody who can't really get into this, that's fine. That's totally okay. You know, the older material will still be there. You still have that to fall back on. But if you are able to be invested in Evergreen, I think you're going to have one of the best listening experiences for any album this year. Do I believe it's as good as White Noise or All We Know of Heaven? No, probably not, and I can acknowledge that. But I can also acknowledge that I think Paris have evolved into one of the most adaptable and versatile bands in the scene, and you can put them in any environment, any setting, and they can fucking crush it. And I will circle back to my own question to close this out. After every single listen-through of Evergreen... Do I think it's a perfect album? Yes. And that's it. 
that was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. And kind of like I said at the top of the show, when there are weeks with like a, a lack of material, not a lack of quality material, but just a lack of like quantity, I don't know if I will be putting out podcast episodes that week. So the place to like really, really stay tapped in right now for Ulterior is Instagram and TikTok. So uh, please make sure to check me out there. It's at Ulterior on both platforms and the videos there, a lot goes into them. Shadow Alex real quick. Uh, you are a fucking G. You have made all this possible and I don't know what this platform looks like right now without you. So yeah, Alex is the guy who edits those videos. If you guys didn't know, by the way, um, so yeah, um, I'm going to go now. Uh, like I said earlier, if y'all are going to the Barbenheimer double feature this weekend, have fun for real, for real. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.